reading of the 36th Psalm. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For they flatter themselves in their own eyes, and their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of their mouths are mischief and deceit. They have ceased to act wisely and do good. They plot mischief while on their beds. They are set on a way that is not good. They do not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and your light is we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your salvation to the upright of heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant tread on me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie prostrate. They are thrust down unable to rise. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the second chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with the first verse. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, and each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, 
though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone sees the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you like weddings? Anybody willing to raise hands and say you like a good wedding? Come on, play with me. There's like 20 people here. Thank you. See, you didn't burst into fire, did you? I like weddings. This is true. I like officiating at weddings. I like leading that worship service. I find it to be a wonderful thing because it gives us an opportunity to remind people that Jesus went to a wedding. And so Jesus is apparently pro-happiness and pro-joy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, if I could have a boat paddle big enough to beat sour Christians with, I would buy one. Jesus showed up at a place where people were celebrating. And these days, oh, people, oh, we can't talk in church. Don't be smiling in church. Don't be happy in church. Stop that. We can't be happy in church. There's no joy in church. There's no fun in church. Why? Why in the world should the people of Christ be unattached to joy? Does that make sense, people? Does it at all? No. You ought to feel happy to come to worship, I think. Do you think that? I look forward to it all week, even though I basically have to construct in my mind a term paper during the week and do so with great anguish. I look forward to coming and singing these 900-year-old boring songs and telling you about this wonderful person I met named Jesus. Don't you look forward to that? Isn't it a wonder of wonders that we want to come together and be happy? Because all around us, oh, they're selling crisis like M&Ms, aren't they? Just this weekend, the snowmageddon was going to come and kill all of us. A volcano blew up in the Pacific and the whole West Coast is going to die of tsunamis. Guess what didn't happen? I wonder at the plight of human beings who do put so much effort into being miserable. When people say to me, I'm worried about my country, I say, I get that. I really do. But stop trying to be miserable. And let the possibility that God can give you joy be real. He showed up at a wedding to celebrate. Not to stand in around and say, thou shalt not drink wine. Jesus didn't show up to be a party pooper. Why? Why? Oh heaven, why are Christians so good at being party poopers? I don't understand it. I don't understand why it is that Christians can be so negative at times. Have we lost the joy of knowing Jesus? 
I hope not. All kinds of good stories are told in the world, but the story that God loved us so much that God refused to allow us to fall off the pit of our own rebellion, God refused to allow us to sit under the weight of sin and death and came to us and died Himself. My Lord, if that doesn't create happiness and joy, what in the world will ever make you happy? To know that the creator of the universe loved you so much that he gave himself for you. If that can't give you joy, if that doesn't give you pause to celebrate, pause to say thank you, pause to sing a song, what in the world will ever give you happiness? answer's got to be nothing, right? I mean, if Jesus isn't enough, what in the world ever could be? I wonder if this isn't why John says this was his first sign. Because John knew that the people were without joy. There was heavy expectation for a Messiah because the Roman oppression, the corruption of the temple, the corruption of religious leadership and the corruption of the religious system had ceased to be a source of joy. All of those things together had put the people in a place of expectation of wondering where in the world will our happiness come from. Listen, googling the idea of happiness and holiness, I actually found a quote from, admittedly, a Calvinist website that said, God does not desire us to happy, be happy, but to be holy. Church, that's poppycock. Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. And so Jesus shows up at a wedding. Not to make new wine or unalcoholic wine, but wine that somebody would draw out and take to the person who was responsible for knowing what good wine was, and he would say, good grief, this stuff's good. To fuel the joy of a party. It astounds me. A person who, as a rule, doesn't drink very much, and I just have my own reasons. It astounds me what Jesus did in the face of seriously large humiliation. This was the third day of a seven-day event. And the people were running out of wine. And when they ran out of wine, you know what was going to happen? People were going to leave. It's the same thing that happens at a wedding reception when they run out of cake. People leave. When they ran out of wine, the joy was going to stop. The celebration was going to stop. And people were going to leave. And forever and ever, those people were going to be known as the people who didn't have enough wine for their week-long wedding. And Mary, sensing 
the plight calls on Jesus to do something, and Jesus distances himself from her by saying, what have you and I to do with each other? Because Jesus doesn't act until Jesus is instructed to act by the Father, Jesus said. He does what the Father gives him to do. But Jesus didn't say, I can't do that. He did it. In an effort, I think, to preserve the event, to keep the people from entering into that kind of humiliation, Jesus changed the water into wine. What should that say to us? It's enough to just be astounded by it. You know, one uh, person, a poet, and it's attributed to two different people, but the story is that this young poet was in school at Oxford in England, and in a theology course, they were instructed to write a paper on this text during an examination. At the end of the exam time, the young person had nothing written. And the proctor of the exam came by and said, you have to write down something. And he wrote on his paper, the conscious water saw its God and blushed. Conscious water saw its God and blushed. I wonder, dear ones, in all of the calamity and crisis that's around us, in all of the sin and death that's around us, in all of the violence that's around us, in all of the efforts of human beings to prop themselves up as the source of everything that's around us, in all of the, the utter and just surprising Lack of imagination that's around us. Do we not need to have moments of blushing before the greatness and wonder of our Creator? Every time I've ever blushed, it was out of joy of being loved. What about you? Every time I've ever felt that feeling of being moved to some new place in my own being, it wasn't because someone hated me, but because someone who touched me and said, I love you. That's what Jesus is doing in this place, in this wedding, on this day. He comes to a people for whom the joy of the covenant has run out. Because they haven't been able to keep their end of it. And he makes a new covenant. The jars that were intended to purify are turned into wine that gladdens the human heart. Why should we not be happy? A people who were gathered in a culture that had lost its way not unlike ours, in a culture that had forgotten its God, in a culture who had forgotten the wonder and majesty of the one who created them, in a culture that had been subsumed into the idea that they had to be good and perfect and do everything just so, so that God would love them. Into those conditions, God walked in and brought joy.
St. Athanasius said about this text that the miracle isn't in God making the wine. He said that happens every year and we're not surprised. Think about it. Water falls down from the heavens, hits the earth, dissolves minerals, and all of that water and those minerals are taken up into the roots of the vine and the vine produces the grape. And people pick the grape and put it into a vat and stomp it, at least they used to, and then they make wine from it. And every year, over and over and over, for the whole of human existence, God has made wine. But in this one moment, in this one moment, it was sped up so that we could see that the Father was in the Son bringing joy. The Father was in the Son, bringing joy. John Wesley did a masterful job of holding happiness and holiness together. For he pointed out to us, if we're holy, if we're set apart for God, that's all that means. It doesn't mean you will be perfect in your behavior. It doesn't mean that everybody will look at you and go, home. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you will be set apart for God in your life, that you will live a life of covenant relationship with the one who created you. That is what God has wanted out of all of us from the very first when God made a promise to Adam and Eve. All that God has wanted from us, it would seem, is that we live with God and be loved by God. And there's joy in that covenant, in that hope. And when we failed, when our love failed, as our liturgy says, when we broke covenant, God came to us to create a new covenant. And that's what's happening today in this story. The old ways of water and purification are being given way to the way of joy, to the way of hope, to the way of love, to the way of peace. To the way of understanding that God comes to us. That we do not have to climb some great hill or some great mountain to reach God. That we don't have to attain to some moral perfection to reach God. But God comes to us in the midst of the mundane and ordinary of our lives to be a source of joy for us. In the midst of all those voices that would ask us to cower in fear and climb under the rocks and scream, Woe is me! Jesus reminds us today that the covenant He offers us is one of gladness. So why, church? Why should we cower in fear? Why should we hide our happiness? Why should we allow others to steal that joy? Isn't it possible? Isn't it possible that if Jesus could transform water into wine, that Jesus can transform us in such a way that our whole life becomes a celebration of this covenant of joy that God has made with us in His Son? 
hope that you will ponder these things in the week ahead because I promise you tomorrow there will be a new crisis. And your news stations will be beeping. And the talking heads will be writhing in agony. But Christ stands in the center of our gathering in this world and restores joy. Trust that, dear ones. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.